back a while ago, and I don't like everything everybody does, but sometimes some people get it, and uh, I think get it right. And uh, there's a, a couple things that God's after this morning. One, he's after all of you and all of me. He doesn't want us cheating him. That's what James chapter uh, 4 or 4 said, actually. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. Wow. He jealously desires his Holy Spirit that he's put within you. He jealously, this version said he's a fiercely jealous lover. He wants you. He desires you. Amen? I'm just thinking I've got... um, There's this, how many of you have heard of vertical worship? Have you heard of vertical worship? You know what vertical, just think about what that that means based on how it sounds. Vertical worship. What do you think that means? What's vertical look like? Yeah. See, sometimes what we get doing is praise of man results in horizontal kind of worship. (laughs) It's where we begin to worship things that we want to worship instead of worshiping him who says, give me all your worship. And so what happens is vertical worship is like this. And uh, there's this guy that tells me, um, his name is John Piper, and he's done a couple different things. Sometimes, I don't know, some of these guys, uh, I'm leery of, of playing stuff from people because sometimes people get out on, on their uh, whacked out streams. But this one I've listened to a few times, and I believe it's, it's good. I think it's safe. And so um, I want you just to consider what he says. This is an audio clip. So we're just going to ask you to uh, listen. The question will be presented right at the beginning. And part of it is the dilemma of what is church about on Sunday morning and literally how evangelistic should church be on Sunday morning. Uh, you know what evangelistic means? Ultimately uh, about getting people saved and doing certain things like that. We're, we're into that. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, before we baptized, there were three people who accepted Christ that morning. Wow. Now, the weird thing is they were going to be baptized. They were already on the docket, if you will, to be baptized. That's scary because they were going to go through some religious ceremony, but that they hadn't actually had a security of being saved. Wow. I'm glad that God led us in that day. That first thing they did is made sure that their heart was right, that they'd given it over to Jesus. Amen. So I just want to tell you how cool that was, that that God orchestrated that. So let's go ahead, and if you would, we'll just uh, listen to this audio. Put your stuff away so you're not confused by that stuff, and you just listen. Amen? It's uh, John Piper on what uh, vertical focus. Emmanuel from Sweden writes in to ask, Pastor John, how evangelistic for nonbelievers should the Sunday gathering be? Well, when I hear the term Sunday gathering, I take it to refer to the people of God gathered for worship. Um, There's nothing wrong with having evangelistic services designed totally for unbelievers on Sunday. (laughs) There's nothing in the Bible that says don't evangelize on Sunday with meetings. But that would not be the stated gathering of God's people for for worship. And I, I know, too, that not all Christians believe that the New Testament even calls us to have corporate worship services once a week. I've talked with people in this category who think the only thing Christians should get together for is edification, not for worship. Now, I think that's a mistake but I won't try to defend it here. I think we are called to corporate worship as the people of God. Then the question becomes, what place does evangelism have in that service? That's the the real question. And um, I would want to say that that service should be wonderfully and gloriously vertical in its focus, we should focus on God. And there are a lot of people who think that because there are many, many, many good things in the Christian life, all of those should be dumped into that one service. So 
We need a place for a ministry to children there. We need a place for community communication there. We need a place for art of drama and painting. And we need evangelism there. We need concerts there. We need political activism there. And when you're done week after week after week, something becomes very man-centered. The vertical focus is blunted And it weakens and a a power goes out of the church, even while you're trying to empower all of those things. So the implication I think this has for direct evangelism is to say that it is always secondary in the corporate worship gatherings of God's people. Um, We should gather in order to commune corporately with our father and with our Lord Jesus Christ and magnify him in the enjoyment that we take in him through singing and praying and confession and thanksgiving and preaching and the sacraments and evangelism happens the way it does in first Corinthians 14 If people prophesy in this service, that is, if people speak with remarkable, penetrating insight from God, people are convicted and called to account, and the secrets of their heart are disclosed. So they fall down on their face and worship God and say, God is really in this this place. So I believe evangelism happens when people meet God. God authentically because the word of God is being spoken and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This, the same gospel that builds people up, saves people and the unbeliever who's sitting there while feeling out of place at first, which is inevitable might come to have his heart opened, his eyes uh, made keen to see the beauty of Christ. He falls down on his face Taste buds are awakened for the beauty of Christ and he, he loves and trusts Jesus. And then these are my people. I'm not, I'm not a foreigner anymore here. I think that happens while evangelism is in secondary position and vertical, radical, hard pursuit of God is in first position. Thank you, Pastor John. And thank you for listening to this podcast. Please email your questions to us. Yeah. So what do you think? Makes an argument, doesn't he? It's vertical. The idea is, is if we do this first, make him the priority, isn't that kind of the nature of it? Then all the other things become strangely dim and everything else falls into place. So having that one thing, the simplicity. Did you get that quote, uh, Mario, that I sent? Uh, if we want to put it up real quick. it's uh, It says that weariness of overwhelming amounts of information was kind of under this category Hyperlinks, you guys know what hyperlinks are. They show up in text and you can click on it and it'll take you to that web address. Hyperlinks, RSS feeds, kind of news feeds, and Twitter, all are great until you just get overwhelmed. Access to information is no longer a problem. Would you agree with that today? Access to information isn't a problem, okay? Everyone is talking and it's posted all over the internet, hinterland. Now people just want to know who to listen to. In the overwhelming, loud complexity of our culture, the church should be a solace of simplicity and clarity. Of course, most church leaders try to make their church simple for them. Making a church simple for the people, however, is tremendously difficult and entirely complex for the leadership. As church leaders, we've made simple about us. It's time we make church simple for the people. So I don't know if I agree that I don't know that I've tried to make it simple for me what we do is actually quite complex to try to pull it off so that we can be sure that you experience God on a Sunday morning. There's a lot that goes in behind the scenes that nobody ever knows about. And I'm not going to waste any more time talking about that. I'm just going to tell you, we actually do a lot to make it easy for you to come in here and worship. And the worship team from plying their trade and practicing and and having their time here and they're, they're here it's just a weird thing we do. We practice, I think, about generally about 8.30 um, and, and get done about 10 o'clock at night. Did you know that? On Wednesday nights, about the time some of you are laying down sleeping, that uh, they're in here practicing because they want to have the presence of God and they want to deliver that to you and me on a Sunday morning. And that's just the way it works right now. That's just the way the schedule is. So 
they suck it up and do it. Well, yay you, you know, that's a good thing. And you're the benefactors of it, amen? So here's the thing. The church, it should be simple. Do you know that's exactly what God intended for it to be? So I'm, I can't read it all because it's too much for, for us to do today. I'm just going to pass because there's a bigger scripture that I feel like is on the heart of God. I put in your bulletin here the, the references in Hebrews chapter 3, all of chapter 3 and uh, 4 through verse 11, but you can go all the way to verse 16. It's all good. But here it is. Uh, I'm not going to read there. Don't, don't turn there. I hear these pages flipping. You, you forget that one. You go to Isaiah chapter 58, I believe it is. Amen? Isaiah 58, just hold your finger there, okay? A couple of things that happened in the New Testament from the Old Testament is God in the Old Testament moved around in tents until he had a temple. Many of you know that, right? He moved from the tabernacle which Moses constructed into a temple which Solomon constructed. God gave the blueprints to King David and said, no, no, you can't build it, dude. It's got to be your son. You got blood on your hands. He says, so Solomon, he'll build me a temple. Then eventually that temple gets destroyed. And then Herod in Jesus' day, they rebuild the temple. It's literally called Herod's temple. And so the idea is, is that they tried to rebuild something and tried to make the world, tried to make a place of worship for the New Testament, for the, for the Jewish people of the day. That They tried to make a religious place where they can feel at home. Okay? By the way, how many of you know there's a castle right next to it where the soldiers, the Roman soldiers could look down and look over it and watch? Right, right by police headquarters, Castle Antonia, I think it was called. And so this Antonia was the place where they literally, it was police headquarters for the Roman soldiers. They could watch down and look and keep, keep a little watchful eye on the church, as you will. So that's just part of, of, uh, of the history. I may have the name Antonia or Astor. It's, it's one of those names like that. If you find it, somebody look for it in your Google thing and you'll find it. It's a historical building right next to the temple. So <clears throat> here's the thing. God wants his, his, his day back. That's really what the Lord spoke to my heart this week is that God wants his, he wants his day back. How many know what the Sabbath is? What, what's the Sabbath? Tell me what a Sabbath is. Day of rest. Everybody agrees the day of rest. Do you know Sunday is not a day of rest? No, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about Saturday. I'm not talking about the first day. I'm telling you, you don't rest on Sunday. I'm telling you, you don't. And you, you help others not to rest on Sundays. Most of you would be going out to lunch when you're done here, and you've caused them to work on Sunday because they're going to serve you. Isn't that true? Just a thought. So not only are we not resting, I think in the bulletin it asks you a question. Let's look at that real quick. Well, the passage from James, does that apply to you? You answer that on your own and deal with God on. But write down some things that you have to get done today. What will your afternoon be like? Now, you can answer that question when you got up this morning before you even got ready for church. You already knew that you got things beyond church because I hope pastor doesn't talk long today because we got plans. That's the way it is every Sunday. Somebody's got plans. You know, the larger the church, the more people that have plans. You realize that? So I'm always kind of like, God, you know, this is what I do all the time. This is me. This, I, I don't have any other plans, God. My plan is you. I'd just like some people to join me in that pursuit. Well, you live in your own homes. That's okay. Does God live there with you? How do you do with that God time? Because if Sunday morning for a couple of hours is all we got, I'm telling you, you're desperately starving to death. You really are. And he wants more. I can tell you that God wants more than that. So I want to encourage you um, that Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talks about God's rest. Okay? And and just verse 1 of chapter 3 says, listen to this. Um, My dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights, take a good, hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe, faithful in everything God gave him to do. 
Now, I just want to tell you that if you just take that, God, that he was faithful. Take a good, hard look at Jesus. I want you to, to know that God wants to reclaim Sunday. He wants to reclaim Sunday. And folks, that's a decision that you have to make. Guess, guess who's here? I'm here on Sunday. I'll be here on Sunday. See what I mean? Beyond the hours that we're here for preparation, beyond the hours we're here for service, beyond prayer or meeting with people after, you know, is that this would be, to, to me, I, I'm the last guy. Do you know who locks up all the time? Joel, who locks up? Usually, I do. Do you know what? I'm not, I'm not griping about that. I'm telling you that there's something cool about doing that. Because when I leave here, I say, God, have you left the house? Then I'll go too, knowing that I carry his presence with me. I'm okay with that. But guess what? If there's one who desires to, to, to chat, if there's one who desires to linger, if there's one who wants some counsel from the word of God, I'll stay. It's what I've been, I've been purchased for. I'm not my own. I can literally say that as a pastor, but I can tell you that that extends to all of us. And here's some things I want to leave us with, uh, some good things today. I want to tell you God wants more. He jealously desires his spirit that he has put within you. He's a jealous lover, and he wants more time with you. And he wants you to sit at his feet. He wants, he wants you to acknowledge his arms around you. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to cry out to him. He loves you with an everlasting love. He desires you. Says, bottom line is, 4.4 says that we have this promise of resting in him. He pulls us on to God's goal for us. We need to be careful that we're not disqualified. We receive these promises that the people under Moses did. See? They'll never get where they're going, never be able to sit down and rest. God made that vow even though he'd finished his part before the foundation of the world. God rested on the seventh day having completed his work. But in this other text, he says, they'll never be able to sit down and rest. So this promise has not yet been fulfilled. Those earlier ones never did get to the place of rest because they were disobedient. That's verse 6. And so this is still a live promise, it says in verse 8. It wasn't canceled at the time of Joshua. Otherwise, God wouldn't keep renewing the appointment for today. The promise of arrival and rest is still there for God's people. God himself is at rest, and at the end of the journey, will surely rest with God. So let's keep at it and eventually arrive at that place of rest, not drop out through some sort of disobedience. There are things that the church has taken on. There are things that we've taken on that we've allowed to happen or caused to happen or, or watched happen. And what we need to do is recognize that the church has a role and we have a voice. And we need to, we need to be one who's calling out to this place. I heard somebody say, actually, it was pretty profound in the prayer room this morning, a clarion call. Clarion call. God calling us to something. Guess what he's calling us to? Himself. He's calling us to himself. How about a day devoted to the Lord? An invitation to come to his house, spend time with me. Isn't that what he said, come unto me? Most people want him to come to his, their house, but they're not willing to come to his house. I have people I run into all the time who don't go to church anymore. They don't go to church, haven't gone to church since there were fights and quarrels. James chapter 4. Because there was lust all around. Everybody wanted it their way. And when they couldn't all have it their way, there were ones who stayed and there was one who left. You all know people like that probably, don't you? Disgruntled with church, the way church is. And church is what? People. So guess what? God wants us to get over our bad selves. And God wants us to die to ourselves so that we can actually live. And the only way we live, by living according to him, his plan. So here's what Haggai, or Haggai, however you want to pronounce it. In the Old Testament, Haggai, it talks about the house of the Lord. So here's what it says. 
The house of the Lord in that time literally is, is, is in ruins and hasn't had any attention paid to it. Well, we've got doors to replace here and things like that. You know, we've got some stuff, but our how the house isn't really in ruins. I'm not talking about the physical structure. In the New Testament, Jesus took it beyond the physical structure to this house now, see? So when we read this, we have to think about this house. We have to think about God's house and what? He's built a temple and the temple is not built with human hands. That implies that God, he longs to dwell right here within us, amen? He jealously desires the Holy Spirit that he put within us. Get it? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. Hello. You drink but are still thirsty. I go out to eat sometimes and I come back home and I can eat a bowl of cereal and a PB&J. I just paid, you know, 15 bucks for a meal. Why am I coming home and I'm still, you know, those words, they ring true to me in a real way. Anybody been there? At the end of stuff in your face, you can still have a piece of pie and get back home and eat some fruit and maybe some chips before you go to bed. Why are you living in these luxurious houses? You planted much but harvest. You're not satisfied. You drink. You're still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills. Bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Here's something you can miss if you just read that and go on. Is he's the one that provided the wood for you to go up and get. Guess what? He doesn't want you building wood structures. He doesn't want you going to the woods. He wants you to come to him who is the source, who is the provider. He's got a provision for you that he'll satisfy you. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be Filled. I love that. You've heard me say, I can go for a while and I might not have read my Bible and all of a sudden God gives me a hunger and a thirst to know what's in there and remember and and I have to get the Bible. It's like I have to read this. See? And, And I pray that you have that haunting of the Holy Spirit. That part where he comes to you and he'll he'll just he'll tempt you and he'll tease you and he'll woo you right back into his word. So it says that. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, it blew away. I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Remember, the Lord gave me a, a message years ago. I don't even know, 12 years maybe it's been. And that is the great American dream has gotten in the way of the vision from God. The great American dream has gotten in the way of the vision from God. Folks, I'm a guy who's remodeled my house and helped my son remodel his house. And I've put drywall up in others' houses and I paint and do I, I'm busy with, I, we've done roofs and we've done, believe me, I'm, I'm all about trying to help people and bless people and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, we spend a whole lot of time on things that are going to be consumed by moth and rust and fire. And that's okay if you got order to your life. If you've made God a priority and then all these things, he knows we have all those duties. The issue is we always have, and the preacher's called to help us as a church, make sure we're given the priority. It's right priority. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. People don't like that side of God. They don't like the side that all of a sudden he's not just loving and he's not blessing and he's not just, you know, overlooking and winking at everything that the earth is doing. But that's part of the reality of who he is because he's a just God and he understands things way beyond what we do. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like meetings? Let me see your hands. Raise them big if you like meetings. You like meetings. Meetings. Come on. Nobody likes meetings. You've got to be kidding me. 
Does anybody like going to meetings? You don't like them, but do you like going to them? You went there and you came away saying, man, that was the best meeting ever. I so thoroughly enjoyed it. Nobody. What purpose do or should they serve? I'll bet. How many of you have to go to meetings? Can I see that? Is there anybody? Okay. I just want to make sure you have safety meetings. You have formal meetings. You have meetings about meetings and meetings about whatever. See what I mean? What purpose do or should they serve? And what benefit? Well, you know, I have a, my past is where I had a lot of meetings. I used to fly out about every six weeks. I'd fly to either Jacksonville, Florida, Orlando, Florida, or to Atlanta, Georgia, and I'd have meetings. <laughs> so I think I'm speaking from a place of being there, done that. See what I mean? So, uh, by the way, I loved flying. And, uh, you know, even though I wasn't always saved back in those days, I never had a drink on the airplane. I just thought about that. Isn't that kind of cool? I never, never had a drink on a plane. Don't intend to. The purpose, here we go. Listen to these reasons why we uh, should have meetings. One is clarify vision and mission. You need to be on the same page with your employer or your boss or the situation, whatever that is. That's why the church has meetings, to clarify mission and vision. Why? Because people leak. That stuff doesn't stay in there. We forget. And so when we say, well, tell me about mission and vision of New Life Fellowship, and you'll be like, uh, uh, we want to glorify God. Yes, we do. But give me the mission and vision. Let me give you a hint. Four foot by four foot. Four foot by four foot. Yeah. Let me tell you, there's two of them. Four foot by four foot. Okay, let me give you another hint. The foyer. Four foot by four foot banners hanging in the foyer. You can't miss them unless you're just oblivious. Everybody in here is thinking, I must be oblivious. It says mission, our mission, and it says our vision, right above going down the hall. When you go back, there's about 15 packs of meat back there from, from to, to give away. So 15 people who don't have meat, um, go back, and at the end of church, you'll, you'll go get the meat, okay? But before you do, look up and see these big four-foot-by-four-foot, big honking things that talk about mission and vision, okay? Why? Because we need it. To clarify vision and mission. Two, to establish goals. How can you ever attain to something or achieve it if you don't even know what you're achieving, what you're going after? See? Life doesn't just happen as you're going, skip to my loo, my darling. Do you ever notice that? You got to have a destination when you start. See? So uh, establish goals. As a matter of fact, the goal, well, I won't go there. I, you, know, you know what I'm going toward. The goal ultimately is to keep our eyes on the prize. Doesn't it sound like that's biblical to have a goal? That you keep your eyes on the prize? That you don't turn to the right or the left? That's what it is. That's called a goal. My goal is my sanctification. My goal is that I'll live a life to honor God. My goal is is that he'll find me that someday I'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a goal, folks. If you think that's corporate, stop it. You're being sissies. Establish goals. The next one is build relationship with the owner, with leaders, with managers and supervisors. That's what you do at meetings. We have a little meeting time where we're going to get a little more intimate, a little more personal. So we get to know each other. So we build. Well, that's coming up. It's for encouraging community. That's what you do. Because now I used to know we had me and my, my, my friend down in... Uh, I was up in Pensacola and and there was one in Tallahassee and there was one down in Melbourne, Florida, and we were buddies. And when we ran into difficult situations, we could call. Guess what? As a pastor, I have that too. Now I can, I have community with other believers and I have community with other pastors and I get to live my life not by myself isolated, but strength that other people provide. See? So encourage community. Number five is to facilitate networking. What's that? You learn things about people and you find out, oh, you've got a tool that I could use and you'd be willing to let me borrow it, but I'd be willing to rent it from you. But I'm glad I know you because I'll get it from you at a discounted price from where else I might get it and I may never have it. So you're going to benefit me in this relationship and then it's going to be reciprocal. That's what networking really is. It's a two-way thing going on, see? How about number six is to build strong teams. That's what you do because you bring resources. Well, wait a minute. I'm getting too far. Build strong teams. Number seven, you maximize effectiveness and strength. 
That's because we're all on the same page. We all have the same goal. We know exactly why we exist and what we're doing here. You gather resources, which is talent and ability and skills, availability, passionate people. That's what you get when you, when you do that. You gather resources and all those things. That's going to help get her done. That's going to help fulfill the mission. That's what we need. So that's why you have a meeting because you get to bring all that talent into one place. I think that was the upper room in the New Testament. Number nine, create opportunity for personal and corporate growth. You see what happens is you are the church individually. You're a member of the church. You're part of the body. But corporately, when we all come together, that's called corporate. People don't like that because the church has become too much like a business. Oh, stop. It is a business because the IRS makes you have to have a business. See, that's not my rule. That's theirs. It is a business. Guess what? I happen to be the CEO of the business, but I'm the pastor by God's calling. Amen? We have trustees according to the state of Ohio that we have to have trustees because we're a corporation. So we're having to do those things, see? But here it is, is that there's personal, which means me and God just by myself. But yet he says, I will build my church. And the representation is, is that God's the head and pastor's the neck and We all fit in underneath there. We're all parts. We're all members of the body. Hello, that's called corporate. Together, we're we're what we could never be separately. See, because the hand needs the arm and the arm needs the shoulder. The shoulder needs the foot. You see how it works? And he calls this thing and he says, this is a body. And this is the way it'll function. And so if you extract yourself, if you take yourself out of play, we're missing something. So, You go to meetings for that reason. And finally, number 10, the best reason of all, because the boss called a meeting. Terry, can you tell your boss when he wants you to go to Denver, Colorado, and leave Ted to eat Salisbury steak banquet dinners for that four days? Can you tell him, no, ain't going to? It just doesn't fit into my schedule and my plan right now. Hey, if nothing else, we've got tickets to the Steelers game. Oh, you're kidding me. He wouldn't recognize the tickets to the Steeler game so you could get beer spilled on you? You mean he would expect you to be in Denver, Colorado for that business meeting? Do you know that's the way God is? He says, I will build my church. And guess what he expects? He expects you to honor a Sabbath. He expects us to make him a priority. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here this morning. But there's times where we don't always choose him so well, do we? And the place should be packed out all the time. And every church should be that way. And those who respond to this mission and this vision, that that wherever that church is, that they go there and they're always there. See? And that doesn't mean you can't visit, my friends. You're in the house of the Lord somewhere. And we're worshiping and we are trying to be vertical. Amen? So here's what happens. What, what's the benefit then? I gave you all the reasons why meet. I, maybe you didn't realize how many valid good reasons there are for meeting. Did, did, are those good reasons for meeting? See what I mean? Now let me give you the benefits. The number one benefit I've got down really comes out of Scripture that says all things are possible. The number one reason, benefit, is the unknown. Who knows what's going to happen when we gather with one mind with one heart for one purpose. (laughs) We see it in the Bible. I'm telling you, there's miracle signs and wonders, see? That's what I'm telling you. You want to know why there aren't, my buddy, our buddy Ray, why aren't there miracle signs and wonders in the church today? You know why? Because we're we're just half-hearted about it. That's why. Sundays have become half-hearted. It's become a day of rest, and we get to determine how we're going to spend it. That's called free will. And God gave us that opportunity. But he also says, hey, don't use your freedom as license to do just whatever you want to do. I've called a meeting. Wow. Well, how long should that meeting be? I don't mind a meeting as long as it's not more than an hour. I don't mind. We'll stretch it. We'll go two hours. At New Life, we do the two-hour thing. No, how about the day thing? A day of the Lord for the Lord. That's, didn't he call it that himself? The day of the Lord. Hmm. Not the morning of the Lord, not the service of the Lord, the day of the Lord. 
So the unknown. Two, the potential of something good, something great. You know why we exist? It says it out there on the banner. To lead people to the greatness of God. Not the greatness of Joel, not the greatness of our worship, not the greatness of our building, not the greatness of the view. The greatness of God. Vertical. We want to take you vertical. How about this? The possibility, the benefit of a meeting is the possibility of a celebrity appearance. Wow. Come on. I heard Brad Paisley's going to be somewhere. Guess what will happen? I heard, I don't know, who's the current uh, heartthrob out there? Luke Bryan. He was out at uh, somewhere too, I think, wasn't he? Oh! Got to go there, got to go there. Be part of that. Maybe I can get him to sign my body somewhere. The possibility of a celebrity appearance. How about then when the church comes together with one heart, one mind, he says wherever two or three are gathered, what? Celebrity, he shows up. Huh? The greatest celebrity of all. Number four, the opportunity to learn more. And that what Ecclesiastes said? Shut your mouth so you can listen and learn. It's part of what we do. That's why I'm up here and you're back there. I hope I'm teaching you something. I hope the word of God is speaking to you. I hope the Holy Spirit is convincing you of something that we need to do. How about number five? The honor of audience. Do you know it's a privilege to be able to come into a church where God says, I'm going to hang out? I'll hear you. I'm listening for your praise. I'm seeking after those who will worship me. That's, that's a privilege. It's an honor to be part of that audience. Some of you might look at it like this is just a a pain. It's a necessary ritual. I don't know why I have to go. My friends invited me. And number six, finally, to embrace the privilege. He calls us to be part of his family. He knows us and he calls us to be part of his family. And he says, you, you're obnoxious. And this person, they don't like you, but I'm going to put you in the same room. I might even put you in the same row. And you'll try to avoid yourselves and you'll back into each other during hugs, handshakes, and high fives. And guess what? I'm right there. Wow. God, can I go somewhere else where I like the people? No, because you're the problem. How many of you have heard of Sunday go to meet and close? Anybody heard that term? Is that just like, is, am I outdating myself? Like I'm only 52, but I'm thinking that go to meet and close, you know, what did that mean? You will be spiffy. Say that, say spiffy. Yeah, you'll be spiffy, not spitty, but spiffy. You'll be spiffy. Say it with some, yeah, say it with swag, say spiffy. Yeah, see, don't you feel elegant? And You know what Sunday go to meet and close were is you definitely, if you only had, when we remodeled our house, I remember that we had one closet next to a chimney on the backside of where the bathroom is, and the closet was uh, probably about 48 inches long. The door was only 32, um, but 48 inside, and it was about this deep. It was about 12 to 15 inches deep. Did you know that's the way they used to make closets, didn't they? How many of you kind of, you've been in homes where that's what the closet was, right? And how many of you converted a whole bedroom to make that your closet? <laughs> See what I mean? So here's what happens is, is that my closet was like, do you, do you know why? I, I talked to mom. Mom is stupid. This is stupid. I grew up in big Victorian houses where they had closets even bigger than this. But even though it was only, a, you know, a little square, like five, four by four or something, that, that at least that was a, a big closet. This mom, why would they put a stupid closet like that in, in a house? It's just taking up space. And you know what? Because people didn't have so many clothes back then. I look in mine and I've got all these shirts. I've got every color golf shirt you can possibly, polo, whatever you want to call it, pullover. I've got this many and I've weeded them out. I've given away all the fat ones, you know, through the years. And so now I've got most of them fit me, but I can't wear them all. Matter of fact, I don't find enough days where I would wear those things to actually wear them. I don't think in a year I'll wear them. 
And then I've got all my dress shirts, and they're all by color. You'd be amazed how my closet looks. I'm really orderly with my closet. I've got seven or eight white shirts just for funerals and weddings. Then I've got different shirts, and they're all color-coded, burgundies, and colors reds go all here, and yellows go over here, and greens go here, and blues over there. Is that you? Yeah. Well, you know what I realize? I've just got too much stuff, and stuff takes time, and stuff takes energy, and stuff takes money, and that, that's without ironing anything. And so you got these Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. Why? Because there was a, a time where we would come before God and there was this old concept that because God says, this is the way, priest, you're going to dress when you come before me. And he gave him a strict dress code. And he said, don't you get sloppy. And he said, then when my presence, this is profound. Some people don't know this. It says, when the priest was done with his priestly duty, he would change clothes before he got in the proximity of, of other people, the commoners. Do you know why? Because he was just in the presence of God. And you don't treat that lightly. And I find sometimes how sloppy we are with his presence. And I think, well, we don't have to be. You know, he's, he calls him fr- us friend. He gives us this opportunity to show up in blue jeans and regular shirts and stuff. And hey, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about there was some order that he said and he gave us garments of praise. And that's what Sunday go to, go to church, go to meet and clothes were, is that I'm not going to show up in my work clothes. Mom says he had, he had two pairs of, of, uh, of work clothes and had one sort of just nasty stuff that you only wore when you were doing nastier stuff than work. And then you had your Sunday meet and clothes. That was it. One pair of dress shoes. One pair of work shoes. One pair of shoes that duct tape around them. Sunday, go to meet and close. God says there's something special about coming into my presence. This is how I'd prefer for you to do. And then we know that Jesus and the, the, the whole New Testament put us into a different state of grace and changed those things to where now it was actually those who'd become so uh, aware of their dress that they thought somehow they could they dressed to impress and they thought that's what it was all about and the circumcision, and God said, that's not what it's about. It's about a circumcision of your heart. And guess what God's saying today? It's still about a circumcision of the heart. It's still about what I want you to cut out of your life that's taken you and robbing me of your time and your, your presence. How about a, a day, reclaiming Sunday is this, a day, a full day unto the Lord. Not elective. Don't give yourself that freedom. Not elective not restricted by time limits, not based on calendars, agendas, or schedules, not lunch dates or mates, not shopping trips, Sunday drives, or sporting events, not TV time, nor video nirvana. Give preference to God, to church, backyard barbecues, family, and the community of believers. Only exclusively a day unto the Lord. Give God back his day. Well, what about the lunch bunch? Bless your hearts. I love the fact that you guys go to lunch and invite other people out. Stop it. Go to somebody's house. Strike up the grill. Put some charcoal on. Somebody stop at the store so you're not being a a, a leech. Stop at the store. Make your plans while you're standing here instead of talking about where you're going to go. Talk about who's going to get what. You come to my house, I'll at least buy the meat, which means hot dogs. Can you imagine if the church begins to gather in homes once again, if the church begins to devote ourselves to where we can talk about things that we didn't get to talk about when we were at the meeting because we get to share our hearts at a deeper level because we're among people that, you know, if nothing else, pastor's going to bust their chops to do the right thing. And we're going to have a commitment to one another that we won't get in the restaurants. They'll treat me nice because they have to. They won't treat me nice because they know me, they care, they love me or anything else. Do you see now, hey, pastor's opened up his backyard. If he's not there, we can go there, pop his grill. The tank is sitting right out there. If I run out of fuel, put another tank on. 
You can, and a matter of fact, Arlene, are you in here? Yes. We'll put the grilling tools out. They'll always be on my back porch somewhere. You can go and use our grill anytime you want to. Here's the thing. If we begin to do that, do you imagine what the fellowship would become like among us? Do you know as we pray for one another, as we, we just recount the stories and testimonies of what God is doing, do you know there's a dynamic? It's, it's in the book of Acts that will begin to manifest. We'll begin to give up things. I'll, I'll say, hey, Lord, I didn't know you were looking for that, girl. I, I'm giving, I'm, I was going to sell mine, but I'll give it to you. Why? Because you're a sister. Yeah, I want to give it to you. I want to give favor because that's what I should do, preference. Give you preferential treatment. Be careful what you're eyeballing in my house, by the way. But isn't that what we're supposed to do is I'm looking for every opportunity to bless you. And I'd like you to invite me to your house so you can bless me too with something I'll put my eyes on. No, serious. Can you imagine that? Now, now listen to it. God, give God back his day. Here's Isaiah 58. Thank you for being there. I'm going to wrap up. Pat, Joe says, Pastor, when you say that, don't, don't take four times to wrap up because people think you're a liar now. Here it is. It's Isaiah 58. Shout! A full-throated shout! Hold nothing back! A trumpet blast! Shout! Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. (sighs) Verse 3, terrible word, but. But they also complain, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves? You don't even notice. Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? I'm so humble. I'm fasting. To put on a pious long face and parade around, parade in black. Oh, I'm solemn before the Lord. Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, strike up the grill, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and he'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the dark. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like well-watered garden, gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use this old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Sounds like America needs that, don't we? If you watch your step on the Sabbath, there's that word, and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there. If, verse 14, then you'll be free to enjoy God. (laughs) I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. 
I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor, Jacob. Yes, God says so. You know what we need to do? Is we need to cross over. We need to fast from the usual, from the norm. Because we've gotten predictable on Sundays, haven't we? And what I, what I, I, I know the Spirit of God is saying is for us to come away with him to a quiet place. He's calling us to fellowship in a community of believers. He's calling us to be able to make church the central place once again of our lives. Sure, you live your lives. There's 168 hours in a week and you work 40 to 50 or whatever those hours are and you hang out and you sleep there another six or eight hours or like me last night too. But you know what? Really, the time we give to God for what we expect from him. Here's some words, companion, God's, uh, companion God words, I call them. Come unto me, how I long to gather you. Remember that, Jesus overlooking Jerusalem? Draw near to me. That was James. Have no other gods before me. He says it through the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. You will be my people and I will be your God. Do you understand how personal this is? God just saying, won't won't you just hang with me for a while? Harry Chapin had it right a number of years ago, didn't he? Cats in the cradle, the silver spoon. Just got way too busy. The family growing up for God. And here we are as a church. Malachi calls it that we're robbing God. Why? Because he wants our fellowship. He wants more than what we give him. He calls us to simplify our lives, to come away. Leave the idolatry and the adultery of this life. God says, you are mine. He jealously desires his spirit that he has put within us. What I've really preached today, folks, is how simple God wants our lives to be and how simple he wants church to be. And he wants us to come to the place where we give him the Sabbath once again. And we don't make agendas for the rest of the day. We don't say our church lasts for an hour or our church lasts for two hours. He wants us to say that for me, church is a lifestyle. It's an all-the-time thing. And I'm learning to do it. And I'm learning to love those who he's redeemed. And they're my brothers and sisters. And they're, they're the ones I sit with. And they're the ones we bump fists with on Sunday mornings. And yet I don't really know their stories. I'm telling you, what I know about you makes you worth knowing. Because you got a God story. Because he's happening in your lives. And he's speaking to you. And you ought to share that with other people. Because that'll make them hungry for the same thing that you've been getting. That's why we give it away. Oh, I know I'm selfish because I'd like to preach longer and so I'd like you to stay longer and stop busting my chops about the length of a service. But it's way beyond that. It's that I want so much more for you. And I'd like to be the the pastor that is kind of known as a Joshua that actually delivered you and saw you come into the promised land, that actually saw you have prayers answered and hearts full of testimony. You see, he jealously desires his spirit that he's put within you, that he's put within his church. He wants you to make no other plans, to have no other gods before him, to come away from the busyness of life. I'm going to have Judith, you share that little story with me, and I've got a one-minute video that I promised you. It's just too good to pass up, this rapping mom she does. Um, But um, let me get this mic. So Judith was telling me during hugs, handshakes, and high fives about a recent uh, excursion that she made over into Indianapolis. And uh, I just thought it's a hoot, and it totally fits with what we were talking about when it comes down to joy and the company or companionship of believers. So, Well, I, I enjoyed the benefit of all your prayers because for my body healing and uh, for the time that we got to go to Indiana because it was a long time coming. But the neat thing was um, that we had a day that we planned. I had 
I have two children from my first husband, and the day was planned for uh, my first husband, who is my ex-husband, and his wife's ex-husband, and Orville to all go out for breakfast. <laughs> and Orville is her husband. Yes, and Orville is my present husband. And then all of us girls, which means my daughter, myself, my ex-husband's sister, and another ex-husband's sister, and all of us got together and we spent the day together. Then all the guys and all the girls all got together. We did a pitch-in dinner, and we had a blast. I mean, all of us are saved, and all of us are going to have to spend eternity together. And we've all been forgiven, and we've all forgiven one another. And we laughed, and we enjoyed each other's company, and it was the most fun. And when I was coming to church today, that verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength, sometimes people don't understand what that really means. But I was delighted to know that the Lord was joyful because of the unity that we all had together. And every one of us are from, like, different churches, like, One's a Baptist, one's Wesleyan and, you know, Christian and Pentecostal and the whole nine yards. But we all love Jesus, and we've all been washed in his blood and saved by the cross. And it was wonderful. Amen. I thought, isn't that good? Yeah, give the Lord a... Because I, I, you know what was cool is that when, you know, we know this can happen, but don't you guys get... Isn't it despairing sometimes when you just don't see it happen enough? You know, don't you sometimes, isn't it grievous how busy we are? I know that you deal with that. I don't need to heap any sorrow. I don't want you having the sorrow as according to the world. I want you to have the sorrow which God brings, which says, get your lives together, reorder it. Let, let me be your priority once again. Folks, I say that because we're about to launch into August. We're going to launch our class 101, which is for new people coming to our church. It's for people who, uh, who, who need to, we want to make sure that you have the foundation right. So we've got 101, and then September we're going to class 201. I want everybody to be in class 101. I'd like everybody to be in class 201. You'd say, oh, pastor, come on, I've been saved longer than you are old. Well, get over it because you haven't heard it this way. Okay, so what you're going to hear is make sure we're on the same vision, mission and vision. So we're calling a meeting and it's, it's a go to, it's go to church. It's a church day thing. And it's learning about Jesus and learning about God and learning about his church, which happens to be part, we're part of that. And, and so class 201 in September, we're going to be doing 201 in October. We're going to do 301. And in uh, November, we're going to do 401. Guess what? We're going to be doing Financial Peace University. We're going to be looking to help you get out of debt because God doesn't want you in debt. And if you don't have any savings, God wants you to have some savings. And he wants you to have stewardship. And he wants you to learn how to run your lives properly. And he wants you to learn how to honor him with that stewardship because he's given you something. He expects a return on that investment. And so not beating anybody up, we're going to actually help you. We've got some resources we're going to give you. Ted and Terry are going to be hosting it. Guess what? I know Ted and Terry. I know their life. I know that they actually got the goods. They can, they can, they've delivered. They've, they're actually presented it there. They've learned the stuff. So guess what? They're the kind I want exporting it. Some of you tried it and you've done it on your own. You can buy the kit online. But the issue is, is that what, there's no accountability when you do it on your own, is there? But there's accountability when we come together because somebody's going to say, how you doing with that? And then you have to lie or you have to tell the truth. See? But we're going to be doing Financial Peace University. There's a new one out. It's only nine weeks instead of 12. And so this nine-week one, and then guess what? There's a legacy journey, which is the next step for those that mastered that. And you've got $1,000 minimum emergency money. Let me ask you a question. Do you have $1,000 emergency money, money that you can't touch, money that ain't going to throw you into a tailspin? Do you have 1000 bucks put away that just, just in case for a rainy day? And most people don't. And then some people, he even gets nitpicky and he says, you ought to have three to what, six months worth of salary. You ought to have that stored up in case, you know, the bottom falls out. You got to have some money to pay your bills so that you're not devastated. Because I can tell you that the wife wants that to happen. She doesn't want to be devastated because the job happens. She wants to be, you know, get, I want security, baby. So guess what? If you don't know how to do that, 
we want to give you the resources to, to help you to do that in your life. So we got financial peace. We got the cycle of new life is what it's called. And you can see it on those two four by four banners at the back of the, of, of the, uh, on the way down the hallway. Look up. We want to close. One minute sermon, then we'll be done. Got to listen good. This woman, she, she, she's good. She's a rapper. Survivor in this amazing race with a need for speed, you need God's grace. And if you're desperate like housewives watching days of our lives, you can't cope without hope, and that's not on a soap. If you look into Oprah or Dr. Phil, you can shop nonstop or pop a pill, but the void won't fill and the pain won't kill till you love the one that hung on the hill. Kicking back in your lazy boy easy chair watching who wants to be a millionaire, nah, you're not going to find it there. No American Idol or Council Tribal has a final answer that'll satisfy you. CSI ain't got a clue. SVU don't know what to do. Not the ER or the OC, nothing on a CD, TV. DVD or MP3 can save you and me. CNN's got no good news. Here's a headline. You must choose. It's not a simple life, Paris Hilton. It's treading on thin ice, living in sin. You can be an apprentice for Donald Trump or eat Fear Factor fast food from a dump. You can be a heavy hitter, a Wheel of Fortune winner, a Fox News no-spin spinner, a flat-out sinner. But you better check this life that you're living and make sure your sins are forgiven. I bet you 50 cent Elvis Dunn came and went, and eventually every black-eyed peak went Stefani P. Diddy and Britney, every wannabe on MTV with the icy bling, every Dixie chick that sings. They all gonna see the king of kings. I don't care if you're J-Lo or Leno or Bono. One thing you gotta know, someday you're gonna die, bro. Then where are you gonna go? Hey, I'm not talking some punk junk that's irrelevant like your grandma's church from way back when. It's not some preacher feature on TBN that you need to be liking or listening. The real superstar is Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth and the life. One day he's going to split the sky. He's the brightest light and the highest high. So what I came to say and what I'm telling you is don't buy that stupid stuff they be selling you. It's all designed to fill your head and waste your space until you're dead. Here's the bottom line of my rhyme. Give your life to God while there's still time. Yeah, now, if you're like me, I had to play it like four times to get it all in and realize she's using all these modern TV shows and and artists and all the things that this life is filled with. And and what the scripture really just calls you back to to Haggai that says that we're, we're just busy, busy. And what he says in Isaiah 58, we're busy, 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 and, and we even do the worship thing, looking good. And yet we've got lives that are, are in, we're, we're just too busy. And he calls us to come to him. Thank you for staying with us a little longer today than normal. Um, it didn't go too long, did it? Not after that sermon. <laughs> I want to encourage you in the, in the days to come, that there's going to be opportunities for us to gather. You're going to have to make that happen. The lunch bunch, bless your hearts, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, everybody in here, you got some bunch where you're going. Dave and Julie, if you're hanging out a little bit, I know you want to get back home, but we're going to have burgers on the grill down at my house. So if you don't have a place to go and you'd like to hang out with this fuddy dud, then uh, we've got enough room and we've got a big enough yard. We'll park the cars across the street so we can fit you in our backyard. So we're right across from West Banco on Central <laughs> Avenue. So here, and we'll figure out how we're going to pay for it. But here's the deal. Folks, I just want you to take me serious about it. I want you to begin to read your Bibles more. I want you to pray with your families, even if it's the most frustrating time of your day, praying with each other. Go ahead and keep doing it. Look into it. I want you to begin to devote yourselves and stop making plans for after church on Sundays unless it means hanging out at church on Sundays, unless it means getting more time to to welcome somebody into your home. Begin to do those things, amen? And I believe what will happen is the church will come under the proper order of God and we'll begin to see miracles and signs and wonders and you'll have testimonies where God brings a whole diverse bunch of people who are bitter and hated one another enough to cause divorce and he'll bring them all together once again and he'll give them a good hearty laugh and the joy of the Lord will be their strength and they'll know that because they found unity when they all came together. And I guarantee you that's what the church will become. The greatest days of the church lie directly in front of us, folks. The greatest day of the church lies when we begin to do the things where God says, be obedient in these things and see if I won't do miracles in your midst. And so, Father, 
I, uh, I don't, you know me, I gave it up. I gave it up again. I'll give it up again. If you said, give it up again, I'll give it up again. God, there's no end to that in my heart because God, you have put in me a uh, hunger for your presence. You put in me a, a desire to see your kingdom come to see miracle signs and wonders that we're not talking about what Moses did, what David did, what Elijah did. We're talking about what you, what you did today, what you did in my life, what you did in my family, what you've done in, in this church. And so, God, in our community, we want to see that, God, you will be glorified in, in your church once again beyond anything we've ever hoped or imagined. So, God, I pray that you light us on fire, that you light your church on fire, that God, you will begin to burn away the dross, that you begin to separate the wheat from the chaff, that God, you would, you would make us a ready people for your holy habitation once again, God. And we pray, Lord, that, that we're, we agree that we're up to the task in you. We agree that you're going to supply the strength that God, you're going you're gonna to nourish us and you're going to encourage us and you're going to knit our hearts together. And God, you're going to help us to cease from quarreling and fighting in the lust of our own lives in our own way. And God, you're going to enlarge the place of our tent to take in our brothers and sisters and even the orphan and even the widow and even the needy. And God, we ask you to do all these things for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go and uh, get with somebody to have... uh